This is Zorina. Welcome to this surprise live. I have an amazing guest here that I actually wanted to bring you immediately rather than have you wait. Uh, welcome to everybody who's going to be listening on the Grow and Learn podcast as well. Today, I am welcoming a transformational coach who has developed his own uh, system for transforming limiting beliefs in a second. I'm welcoming Lion Goodman. He's an accomplished author of five books. And um, he's, a, as I said, a transformational coach, executive coach with an extensive career in um, executive search and uh, executive coaching. Hi, Lion. Welcome. Thank you, Zarina. It's a true pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for making me laugh. This always helps. And I, got, I get excited and I go live. So thank <laughs> you so much for beginning our conversation in such a lovely way. Of course. Uh, Lion, uh, you're based in California. I am, Northern California, Sonoma County. Yeah. Yes. Were you there when you were 26? No, no. Uh, when I was 26, I was a traveling salesman, and I was traveling between Colorado and California, uh, sort of seeing the Southwest. I was basically a, a hippie entrepreneur. And, uh, and so I was traveling in a van um, and uh, going from store to store and town to town, selling my wares, jewelry and gift items, that kind of thing. And it was because I really didn't know what else to do. I had graduated with a degree in consciousness studies from the University of Colorado, but nobody was hiring people with degrees in consciousness. And so then I started a, a mail order catalog of consciousness tools, which uh, was very successful in the very short term, but then it failed. <laughs> so, so then I went on the road to selling stuff So because I, I needed a job and I wanted a little bit of a vacation. Wow. And that is the time when something significant, a turnaround point in your life happened. This is what I read in your bio, but I'm curious to hear your story. What happened? Well, I was, I had been traveling for about a year and a half. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and uh, I was really unsatisfied with my life. I didn't know what to do. I had gotten this degree in consciousness studies and neurology and philosophy, but I was basically a salesman on the road. Um, and so I was trying to figure out what to do next maybe go back to medical school, which was the original idea, or maybe get a PhD in psychology. I was kind of lost and, and confused. Uh, and whenever I was on the road, I would help other people whose cars had broken down. And so this one day, I was on my way to LA from Las Vegas, and I was traveling through the Mojave Desert. And there was a fellow whose car had broken down in the middle of the desert, and, um, and so I pulled over and I said, can I help you? And he said, yeah, well, I just put $200 into the car and it won't start. And I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'm heading into LA. Do you want to ride? And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, yeah, okay. <clears throat> and he went back to his car and brought all his stuff into my van, which was kind of like, fitted out like an RV. He ended up traveling with me for three days and I grew to trust him. And I would send him on errands to gas up the van or get it washed and, helping me move boxes around. And the third night out, we were out in the middle of nowhere, east of LA. And um, I was in the back of the van, crouched down, moving stuff around in the cabinets. He was in the front of the van. And suddenly there was an explosion and something hit me in the head. And I, at first I thought it was a gas stove had exploded. So I looked up and the gas stove was intact. And then I looked to my left and there he was with a gun pointed at me from the front seat of the oh. car. 
And I realized I had been shot. Uh, and that's what the sudden explosion and the pain was. And uh, uh, obviously, I was surprised. <laughs> this came out of nowhere. Uh, and so I, I said, are you shooting at me? It's like, I was completely confused. And he said, shut up, just shut up. And then he shot again. And uh, at first, I thought he was warning me. And at that point, I thought, well, just take everything, leave me naked outside on the desert. I'm fine. You know, Just give me my life and take if you want it, take it. Um, but when he shot the second time, I realized he was going to kill me. And there was nothing I could do. I was a sitting duck. He was 12 feet away <clears throat> with his hand propped up. And so I, I, I realized I'm going to die. This is my time to die. Now, I had studied death and dying along with all these other psychological and philosophical and religious studies I had been in. So I said, okay, well, I don't want to die angry or upset. You know, I want to die in peace. And so I began to pray and reached up to source and said, I'm coming home. I'm, you know, here I come. And I also realized I didn't want to die with anything left undone in life. And so I did a kind of a quick scan backwards in life. And I asked forgiveness for all those people that I had hurt along the way. And I also forgave all those who had hurt me. And I was in a very peaceful place. And he shot a third time. Uh, the second and third bullets missed me by fractions of an inch. Uh, but I was already outside my body, sort of in the flow of golden light that was coming down from the heavens. And I was ready to go. And I was outside my body looking down at this van with this little drama going on inside, um, thinking it was kind of amusing. And, uh, uh, and then the fourth bullet rang out and my head was tossed to the side and blood was rushing down. And uh, I, I, suddenly I was back in my body, which I thought was weird because I was supposed to be outside my body, you know, like leaving my body. But I was back in my body. And because I had also studied anatomy and physiology and dance and mime, I knew my body quite well. So I was sort of checking everything to see if everything was intact. Because if the bullet had gone through my head, I should be missing something. But I wasn't missing anything. And so I, at that point, I thought, okay, well, if I'm going to die, I want to at least look my assassin in the eyes. And so I picked up my head and I turned toward him and looked at him. And he freaked out. And he said, why aren't you dead, man? You're supposed to be dead. And I didn't know the answer to that question. So I just said, here I am. I was still in this flow of golden light and love. And he was included in it. So there was nothing, no difference between us. It was just he was the other part in this play. Uh, and I said, and then he said, it's, it's too weird. It's just like my dream this morning. And I said, what dream? And he said, I dreamt I was shooting at this guy and he wouldn't die, but it wasn't you. It was somebody else in the dream. And at this point, I thought, that's weird. <laughs> this is really strange. Um, what's going on? How did I get into this play? I don't remember signing up for it. <laughs> and am I going to get paid when it's over? It's like, it was, it was a very strange situation. So I realized if I could keep him talking, maybe he wouldn't kill me. And so very slowly, I began to talk try to talk him down. He was all adrenalated looking out the windows and he kept saying, why aren't you dead? I shot you four times, man. I shot you four times. Why aren't you dead? And I just 
said, well, maybe I'm not supposed to die. And anyway, that began an eight hour conversation with him. And with Uh, bullets in your head. Yes. Well, I didn't know where the bullets had gone. So we talked for eight hours. I I asked him questions about himself. I got him to tell me his story. Uh, We talked about why he had done it, when he decided to do it. Turned out he had decided to kill whoever stopped to help him. But I kept being nice to him. And so he pulled out the gun many times, but didn't kill me. And so I was like, I was fine. And I found out he was an ex-con. He had been in jail before. And so all these things happened. Um, and, uh, and so trying to make this very long story short, um, we, we, it took us eight hours to find our way out because he didn't really want to kill me and I didn't really want to be dead. Uh, and he didn't want to go back to jail. So we eventually came to a, an agreement that I would not turn him in and he would never do anything like that again. And so we shook on it, drove to a place that he knew. He took his stuff out of the van and I drove myself to the hospital where I found out that two bullets had bounced off my skull, that the bullets had not entered my brain, but had, you know, basically glanced off my, my, my skull. So I figured I had a very hard aura. And, uh, and so so that's what saved my life. Also being in such a relaxed position, being so accepting of what was happening, when the fourth bullet hit me, it actually pushed off my pushed my head over, which okay. allowed the bullet to glance off. So that's a lesson in acceptance. Wow, amazing. So when you saw your body from above, uh, it, you were actually knocked off by the bullet. It wasn't penetrating. Right, right. Amazing. Wow. So that's that's my story. And it's been made into a film. It's been published many, many places around the around the planet. So it's my 15 minutes of fame. 15 minutes of fame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I, I read you were also on Mind Valley and on a few other um, famous platforms. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I've presented programs on Mind Valley and also the Shift Network. And I've I've uh, taught around the world in in uh, schools as well so how did this change you what did you um i don't even know what to ask you after this shocking uh <laughs> shocking story but well, what what well, did uh, what did you learn from this conversation or rather how did this conversation change you with this man well first of all i didn't want to be a traveling salesman anymore <laughs> that was off <laughs> it's like okay i'm done with that business um, and so I wanted to find a job and get stable. I realized I'd been kind of this hippie salesman, itinerant, you know, merchant, and that I, I really wanted a life. And so I, I stayed in LA and I became a headhunter, uh, which was kind of ironic after having my head hunted to become a headhunter. Right. <laughs> that became my career for 25 years. And so I actually got grounded. You know, some people, when they have an out-of-body experience, become spiritual Uh, I was already spiritual. I needed grounding. So for me, it grounded me into reality. And I worked with corporations around the country and around the world, uh, working with executives. And over that 25-year span, I also got married and had a child and, you know, became a householder. So um, all during that time, though, I was continuing to study consciousness, my own consciousness, my own psychology. And I took over 100 workshops and trainings trying to understand more about the nature of human nature and the nature of human motivation and the nature of consciousness. So 
uh, when the, the headhunting business went down with the dot bomb back in 2000, <clears throat> I became a coach and, and I've loved coaching ever since. That's really what I was meant to do is to work one-on-one -on -one with people to help them expand their own consciousness and become better leaders, better people, better parents, better spouses. So that's what I do now. Beautiful. And um, you're also working with, with executives, though, and you're training other coaches. Is that right? That's right. I have, I have both my coaching business and my training business. And the methodology that I put together from that 45 years of study is a spectacular methodology for clearing beliefs, clearing negative and limiting issues and problems, including traumas from the past. So it's a healing and awakening process for uh, moving forward in life. Uh, let's talk first about the executives. First of all, how is this uh, topic even landing um, in their field? Aren't they mostly interested in exact actions that they need to take? How are they perceiving the whole concept of consciousness? Well, executives also have a personal life and they're, they have their own psychology and their own motivations and their own relationships with their, with their family, with their colleagues and with their subordinates. Um, so they know that there are issues in the way. Now, when I was a headhunter 25 years ago, you couldn't talk about anything that, that was woo-woo or psychological or philosophical. It was, okay. it was verboten. Right. <laughs> it was like, you know, yeah. we, don't, we don't go there. Uh, today, almost every executive has some self-awareness and understands mindfulness and understands relationship issues. And you know they want to make their company more productive. Uh, and to do that, they have to get the crap out of the way. And the crap often shows up either in their personal life, in their family life, or their, their relationship life, or in their business, where they are, where they can see that there are problems. Now, some executives think it's the other person's problem, <laughs> and so they're harder to work with. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but most of them recognize I have some part in this issue, you know, and so they want to heal themselves and awaken themselves. So that they can be a better executive, they can be a better leader, they can be a better friend and a better spouse and a better uh, a better executive. So um, it, it's just a different time than it was when I was a headhunter. Uh, these conversations happen pretty easily. Now there are people who are narcissists or psychopaths who are in leadership positions and they think it's all other people's problems and they're the only one that's important. I don't work with those folks <laughs> because. <laughs> Because I can't convince somebody that you might take some responsibility for the problems in your company. Yeah. So, so what is your method called and what is it based on? Like, do you need to go in your subconscious mind? What is the process approximately? Uh, the process is called the clear beliefs method. And we call it that because for me, beliefs are not just mental constructs. Like I believe in more government or less government, they're actually the infrastructure of the human mind. So all the, all the way back to being in the womb, where we have pattern detection, and pa that pattern detection is used to survive. So we figure out what's happening, and then we figure out how to use that learning to survive. And so that's what beliefs are. They're all the way down at the deepest level of the mind. And so we're working with the infrastructure of the human mind, not just mental concepts. You can, you can change your mind 
mentally, but that doesn't change the subconscious. It doesn't change the emotional body or the physical body or the spiritual body. So we work with all of the bodies, the whole self, all the dimensions of the self, including relational, the relational self, the financial self, the economic self. Um, and so when we're changing something, we're going to the source, the beginning of when that belief formed, when you came to that particular conclusion, and then what you did with it from that point forward. So a uh, quick um, story, I was working with an executive who had made and lost millions of dollars over and over and over again. He was tired of the pattern and they call me the subconscious pattern detective. So I was trying to find the source of this problem with it. Outwardly, it was like he, he was really good at making millions, but then he lost and he made and lost. So I took him through my process back in time to find the source of that particular issue. And um, in a couple of sessions, we found, we got him back to a memory of when he was three years old. He was walking on the streets of New York with his mother, hand in hand. He saw a shiny penny on the ground and he reached down to pick it up. He was very excited. And his mother jerked him back and said, don't touch that, it's dirty. And he suddenly realized that the reason he couldn't hold on to his money was because it was dirty and he shouldn't touch it. So we cleared that. And he didn't have to lose millions anymore. Yeah, impressive. But um, I was, I'm also thinking, and I've been thinking about the subject um, of both um, inherited uh, patterns, because you can inherit even behaviors um, mm -hmm. and, and even this infrastructure to a degree is inherited. It, it can run back to your grandparents, great grandparents and so on. So Absolutely. according to your experience, is it always um, stemming or can you always pull out the root from childhood or do you need to go back in generations or maybe in your own past lives? And how does past life and previous generations where you probably didn't reincarnate in the same family? So how do these mix and match? This, this is a question that I've always asked myself at the you have parents both from karma, from your soul, and from your physical uh, ancestry. Absolutely. And we work with what is primary for human beings, which is their experience. Um, we, don't, we don't have to have a, a understanding or a philosophy about the past. We just work with whatever comes up from the subconscious mind. Now, sometimes that subconscious memory or realization is in childhood. Sometimes it's before childhood in the womb. Sometimes it's before the womb in a previous life. And for us, we are neutral on the subject of reincarnation and religion and God and all that stuff. We'll work with whatever comes up. Mm -hmm. And we don't have to say, oh, that was from this. It turns out that we see a lot of experiences of past lives in this process but we don't make a big deal out of it. It's just like, oh yeah, that's what's coming up in memory. Mm -hmm. uh, and we, we, when we clear a belief, we're clearing it all the way back to the beginning of time so that it clears past lives as well as the current life and gives the person then space. Because when you clear a belief, you create space. Then you can create a new belief to carry you forward. The problem is most methodologies don't do that complete clearing 
they're only clearing one part or aspect of the belief structure. And so the belief keeps coming back and back and back and the pattern repeats itself over and over again. Our process is a complete clearing. And I use the analogy of, of building a garden. If you wanted to build a garden, you would first clear the rocks and weeds out of the soil. Because if you threw your seeds on rocky, weedy ground, you're not going to get much to grow. But if you clear the soil and you amend the soil and then you plant your seeds, then the seeds can grow and blossom. So I know you work with manifestation. When you're trying to manifest something, if there's old beliefs and old patterns in the way, it's going to stop you at some point. And most more people are stopped by internal patterns than by any external circumstances. So we can go back and clear those patterns, clear the rocks and weeds out, and then you can manifest easily because there's no resistance. There's no internal resistance to what you're trying to create. Uh, well, uh, what I've noticed in my work, because I have one course that is called uh, Clear Karma, it's based on a Russian system for energy information management, but it um, it actually takes the whole complex, so it's not one belief, as you know, you know, because of neurology, energy is also constructed the same way, so there's one belief linked to this belief, and it's a whole network. Yeah. So how yes, do we call you them clusters. Yeah. How do you root out this entire network of associated beliefs great question um you're asking in the depth of my training <laughs> we're going right to the most important things so uh we call them clusters beliefs cluster together i'm no good nobody likes me something's wrong with me i'm a bad person i'm a sinner and besides uh i'm fat <laughs> okay so all those all those <laughs> beliefs reinforce each other in the cluster right now there's two ways to clear it one is to clear them one at a time like this, clear, 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 clear. And then pretty soon the cluster doesn't have any holding power and it kind of drifts apart. And then you can kind of like pop the, re the remaining ones left until there's no, it's not there anymore. Um, the other way is to get to the core, the originating experience and clear that one. And often that will just disrupt the whole pattern and the whole thing can pop. Some, there's always some cleanup to do because we have tens of thousands of beliefs by the time we're young adults and probably hundreds of thousands by the time we're this age. So there's a lot there. Now, not all beliefs are negative or problematic. Some are positive, like look both ways before you cross the street. That's a good belief for a kid. It's also a good belief for an adult. We wouldn't want to clear that one because then you'd walk across the street without looking and you'd get hit by a truck. So, so we're only interested in working with the problematic beliefs and that comes, they're the ones that are showing up in life. So if I'm, uh, if I'm in a relationship and I'm having a difficulty in loving a person, if I can get to the core of that belief and clear it and replace it with lo more love, then now I'm a loving being instead of a problematic being. So that's what we do. We focus on what's showing up in life, work our way backwards, clear it, and then something else will show up in life because life is complicated and we have tens of thousands of beliefs. Yeah. What is the state of mind that is required from a person to access this um, network of a cluster? Do you need well, to, we have to be in an altered state of mind? Yeah. Yeah, we, we don't use trance, we don't use tapping, we don't use muscle testing, all those are partial or temporary um, ways of accomplishing the same goal. 
we just ask people to close their eyes and then we guide them using guided imagery. So uh, it doesn't require being in a trance state. Um, I can work with an executive who's never done anything like this before. And he says, this is my problem. And I, and I simply say, well, would you like to work on that problem? Would you like to get it cleared? And if they say yes, I say, okay, close your eyes. And then I just take them on an inner journey. Um, then they can open their eyes anytime. Some people do the whole thing with their eyes open. It doesn't really matter because we're accessing the memory system. The memory system is malleable. You may have heard of memory reconsolidation. That's what they call it in psychology for us to go back and actually disrupt memories, change them and put them back together. And when you do that, you've actually changed your past. We call it rescuing the inner child uh, because we're often working with experiences from childhood. Uh, and when you do that, the past has changed. You're a different person. You had a different experience in the past. So one of my favorite things to say is it's never too late to have a happy childhood. And so we work with the issues from the from the past, change what happened, clear what's happened, and then the person's different. They have a different foundation for whatever they think, decide, or do. How long does the process take? Like, how long is one session to clear a cluster of beliefs? Well, a cluster depends on the cluster. Um, if if we're talking about a single belief, like money is dirty and you shouldn't touch it, uh, that took 20 minutes. But it took uh, it took us time to work our way backwards to that. It took a few sessions to get to that core belief. So I can clear a belief in 10 or 20 minutes if I know the belief. But the finding of the core belief, the finding of the source material does take time. And so I can often clear one belief in a single session of an hour, hour and a half. What are some of the most striking results that you have seen in your practice? Um, well, there's a lot of them. Um, people feel different, look different, their bodies change, their faces change. Um, their careers change, their relationships change. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, another example. I had a psychotherapist who came to me who had a very successful life. She was in good shape. She had a good marriage, very, very full practice. And she, the problem for her was she, she constantly thought something bad is going to happen. And so I did my process. And in one session, we cleared that belief. It was a past life belief. <clears throat> and I checked in with her a couple months later and I said, how are you doing? She said, it's amazing. After a lifetime of constantly thinking something bad was going to happen, I haven't had that thought in two months. So wait a minute. No, that's not true. I did think that a week ago I had that thought. And then I thought, oh, I don't believe that anymore. And it went away. So that to me is proof. That's the acid test for whether you've cleared a belief is whether it's really gone and it's just not impacting the system anymore. So name of human problem, and I've probably worked with it. Mm -hmm. Would you like to, or is it possible to do something in a setting like ours right now? Sure, sure. Okay. Is, is, now, you've done a lot of work on yourself, so you're kind of a clean machine. So, so <laughs> is, there, is there any issue in your life that, that you would like some help with? The, there are always issues. Um, I'm just wondering what I can make public. Um, <laughs> That's the difficulty with these interviews. Right. So, okay. Uh, I, I have something. Great. Um, 
so, so I would like to land the board position in a company, supervisory board, non-executive. Um, and I have this, yeah, it's not, a, I guess it's a worry that maybe I'm, people will not look at me as a competent person, although I do have, you know, the required experience. Yeah, so people wouldn't see me as a competent person and um, my chances are low. This is what I am. Okay, good. So the belief, the belief then is that I'm not a competent person. No, I do believe that I'm competent, but I believe yes. that other people will not see me as a competent person. Okay, so this is a little tricky because the fact is, is that you believe you are a competent person. Yes. But you wouldn't think that about other people unless you also believed that you are not a competent person. In other words, in other words, they're they're looking at you, stimulate something in you. Oh, they're not seeing seeing me as I am. I think this is it. Okay, but that if you didn't have that belief, you wouldn't notice them seeing you that way because you're seeing through the filter called they don't see me as a competent person. Mm -hmm. Which means somewhere inside of you, there's also the belief, I'm not a competent person. Now, let me ask you, while you're thinking about that, I know it's it's hard to conceive of, but but I, I know this from understanding how beliefs work, is that if someone says, you're ugly, if you didn't believe you were ugly at some level, you would just say, you're out of your mind. <laughs> what, what, what's wrong with you? But if you if you believe that they if, if you have anything inside of you that says I'm ugly, then they're pushing a wound. It's like sticking a finger in a in a wound in your arm. You're going, ow, that hurts. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that means there's something there. So let's uh, may I take you on a little inner journey? Sure, but I, but I'm also not sure if I, if that was the right definition of of my inhibition. If that was the right thing about competence, I'm not quite sure if this is. But okay, let's try it. Okay, let's try it. So let's... close your eyes if you would. Oops. And imagine someone looking at you and thinking that you are not a competent person. And you can see in their eyes that they don't see you as competent. I know already where exactly, I, I already saw where the, the root cause is. Oh, good. Tell me. <laughs> You're fast. Um, it is when um, I was applying for uh, an English language school um, entry and uh, the exam was in maths and in, in, in literature. And I was walking with my dad to check out the results at this school where the exams took place. Uh, and he said, I hope that I'm not going to be faced with a, whatever the lowest score in English is. It's a D or E. I don't know. Yeah. So something like that. Well, I actually got the highest score, but but he was like a total disbelief that I could. I think that's it. Okay, because good. I immediately saw it. Beautiful. Okay, so close your eyes again, if you would, mm -hmm. and look at look into your father's eyes when he's looking at you that way, and tell me what that feels like when your father's looking at you, seeing you as not competent as a failure as a person who could fail what does that feel like in your body first of all can you see it can you see his eyes um he's not even looking at me actually uh-huh okay but you can feel something in him 
And what is the feeling that you're getting from him? Um, it's not about me. I feel it's not about me. He's, uh, um, I don't know, um, transporting information or not transporting, conveying. I don't know. It's a copy paste from their relationship with my mom, I believe. Okay. So when you were growing up, did you ever feel like he saw you as less than you could be? Did you ever feel like you, you disappointed him or that he saw what you weren't instead of what you were? Mm, I am not quite sure. I have had a few occasions when I was treated unfairly mm -hmm. um, because I was wilder, for example, and had done, you know, things, said things or... Um, acted out well as with a lot of ego as what was perceived by the teacher for example so so I was treated unfairly there I felt but I was never like he never pushed me down or but never praised me either it was like ah. a neutral okay so he was neutral so even when you succeeded you didn't get praise mm, not really actually for, actually mm -hmm. whenever I succeeded in anything it was accepted as normal but I was never praised uh, and how did you feel about that? See if you can remember what it felt like to say, hey, I just got this award or I just got an A and them going, oh, yeah, OK, that's that's good. Expected. Well, it feels like I was not acknowledged. It was like, yeah, OK. It felt. Yeah. Like my wings were cut a little bit. Yeah. My enthusiasm was cut. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, we, we call that um, interrupted enthusiasm. Um, and enthusiasm, of course, means in theos with God, right? So when you're enthusiastic, you are with God, or God is within you. So you were just seen as like, oh yeah, that's, there wasn't any acknowledgement of your accomplishment. That's right. Just, just feel what that feels like and see if it's similar to what you are afraid other people will see you as when you apply to be a board member. I'm being distracted by the fact that we're doing this publicly. <laughs> okay, well, I think it's you. similar. I'm not quite sure if it's the core, but it feels like a similar feeling. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're getting close to it. So there's something about not being acknowledged for who you are and how spectacular you are and how amazing you are. And you 
you know that you could be a board member and that you'd be very good at it. But other people might not acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. That's where I'm seeing the similarity. Does that feel right to you? Yes, that feels right. Yeah, good. So if we had more time, I would take you through a process of changing the past, changing that memory, and you would, we would give you the confidence that people see you and recognize you, acknowledge your competence, acknowledge your amazing presence and, and what you have to offer. And that would, you'd then be able to walk into a boardroom and just not have that experience anymore. So there's wow. the, that's the finding core beliefs part of the process. I loved it. Uh, I actually have an idea of how to, to change it because I'm, as you have read, I'm using the silver method. So I also work, you know, it's a different methodology, but um, I know now how to handle this. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. <laughs> so where are you heading next, uh, Lion? What, what do you want to achieve next? What is well, your vision? Yeah, I've trained uh, over 600 coaches, therapists, and healers so far in my Clear Beliefs coach training. And I want to train a thousand more. So, uh, and, and I want to work with the executives who say, that's what I need. I need to cl clear something out from the past that's still bothering me, that's still holding me back. And I, I want to help them. I want to clear the way of whatever's in the way for a large number of people. And since I can't serve everyone, I can serve executives, but then I can teach other coaches to work with all of their clients. And so far the results are spectacular mm -hmm. from the students who graduate and go out and use this methodology and they combine it with whatever else they're doing, Silva or EFT or you, know, you name it, psychology. I've, I've had medical doctors take the training to combine it with their, their medical practice. So it can be used by anyone as a professional, as a practitioner. And I want, I want it spread widely because it's so effective. It's more effective than any other method I've found. And I've had people who with tremendous trainings, many different trainings, every, every type of training come into, the, come into the Clear Beliefs coach training. And they say, oh my God, this has brought everything together for me. I now have a complete tool set and I can create transformation. Mm -hmm. So is the, is the training one-on-one? -on -one? How long does it last? Uh, the training comes in three sections. Uh, all told, it's about 20 weeks of training. And um, people graduate and get the, the courses accredited by both the International Coaching Federation and the Association for Coaching. So it's an accredited training for coaches, but anyone can take it that's a practitioner. Mm -hmm. And how can people reach you to um, sign up for this training or find out more about you, buy your books? Good. Two websites, clearbeliefs.com. That's, that's the training site. And liongoodman.com is my personal site with my articles and blogs and interviews and uh, more about me. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to briefly share my screen to show the titles of your books. Great. So here we go. This is one of your, oh no, this is not your website, but this is... Uh, these are your books. This is something. Yeah, those are my books. Yeah. Creating on purpose, clear your beliefs, clear your clients' limiting beliefs, men enlightenment. 
ah, this is something that we didn't talk about. You're um, involved in a men's movement. Yes, for 40 years. What is this all about? Uh, what is men's work about? Yes, I have no oh. clue what men's work is. Ah, uh, well, men's work came about because um, during the early days of feminism, women would get together in groups and they had groups to, of support, right? They mm -hmm. would support each other. And men got jealous and they said, well, we should have those kinds of things too. Now it turns out that, that men meeting in circles and women meeting in circles is ancient. It goes back tens of thousands of years, um, but we, it got lost in our civilization. So men coming together in a circle, um, supporting each other, helping each other awaken. Uh, we, in our work, we call them challenge groups because we challenge each other to be better. We challenge ourselves and each other. So um, I'm the co-founder of a group called the Tribe of Men. And we have uh, about 100 men around the country who meet together in smaller groups and support each other, do processes with each other, uh, help each other solve problems, whether it's in a relationship or business or, or life itself. So uh, it's really mutual support by men. And men need to have their own circles, just as women need to have their own circles to, to sort of get out of the relational issues. <laughs> <laughs> and support each other in, in becoming a better man or a better woman. Mm -hmm. So I, I got, uh, uh, I, I missed the part where you mentioned how, what is your involvement with the men's uh, group exactly? Are you ah, well, um, co-founder of the Tribe of Men? Uh -huh. Co-founder of the Tribe of Men. And, and uh, back in 2011, I created the Ultimate Men's Summit, where we had 75 speakers uh, and over 20,000 registrants for to talk about all kinds of men's issues and men's work and mm -hmm. men's development. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, this is totally needed. And uh, indeed, I, I totally agree. You know, women's circles just as important as men's circles. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Had... We we need to support each other, and and we it's different. We you know, couples groups. That's also very good. But men need men around, women need women around, and then couples need couples around. So we are we are relational beings. We're we're social animals, and we need this the social connection um, to survive and to thrive. Yeah. Let me just share once again the name of your website, clearbeliefs.com. Yes. This is one of them. And this I is our this is our free monthly event. We have one coming up soon. And uh, we do that every month. We explore beliefs in a different area, sexuality, love and relationships, business, uh, money. So this, the one coming up is about AI. Who's afraid of the big bad AI? Mm -hmm. Nice. We've also covered some topics on AI on this channel on Heal and Learn. So I think people would be interested to join. Wow, Lion, this was a, a, an amazing uh, session. Although it was a <laughs> conversation for me, it was a session. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me on your program. Thank you for being so vulnerable and uh, uh, for all the work that you do. I'm quite impressed by your work and I'm very happy to know you. Likewise, likewise. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. For me as well. Thank you for listening to Grow and Learn. We hope that you found our podcast informative, engaging, and inspiring. 
Our mission is to help you keep growing and learning, and we hope that our conversations and insights have provided you with practical advice and useful perspectives. If you're looking for personalized support and guidance to help you achieve your personal or professional growth objectives, I offer a range of services to help. As a trusted management partner and mentor, I work with businesses in the process of transformation, looking for new streams of business, as well as M&A. With an extensive professional network of experts and mentors, I can bring on board the right person or team based on the specific needs of the company I'm working with. To learn more about the services I offer and how I can help you achieve your goals, visit my website at growandlearn.org. You can also reach out to me via email or social media. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed this episode of Grow and Learn, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. Your feedback is important to us and it helps us to continue to create content that is relevant and valuable to our listeners. Thanks again for listening and we look forward to sharing more insights and perspectives with you in the future.